You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey guys, welcome back to OnlineCalvary.com. And I hope that we, as we enter now three months of quarantine, I hope that uh, you have now realized everything that's wrong about your house and everything that you need to fix. And I, everyone I know is replacing things in their house, remodeling their house. Um, nobody's thinking about buying a different house, but anyway. So uh, I don't know if you've ever been on the ride at Islands of Adventure called uh, Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey. I, I did it one time, and I'm about to tell you that story. Now, here's the thing you have to know about me, and that is that I hate roller coasters. I get motion sickness very easily. It just gets me all twisted up. And uh, I mean, I can barely sit in the back seat of a car because I get, I get car sick. So anyway, so a few years ago, I was in Orlando speaking at a conference and the architect who designed this building was speaking at the same event. He was staying at one of the Universal Hotels and he said to me, he said, Bob, why don't you meet me tomorrow morning at Islands of Adventure and then uh, before you have to teach, because I had to teach again at this conference. And he's like, I have an extra universal ticket and I hadn't seen uh, the whole wizarding world and all that. So I get there at 8 a.m. the next morning, we go to uh, the wizarding world, we get to Hogwarts and there's nobody there because we're there an hour before the park opens, which is only available for people who are staying in the hotel. So we go through the wait area really fast and uh, nobody's there, and nobody's there. And so I start getting concerned because now typically when you're going through the queue, you, you see the signs that, you know, will have the warnings or, hey, here's what you need to know. This ride has sudden uh, dips or flashing lights or whatever. But I'm kind of walking through this really fast because there's no, there's no line. But I, every, but I see all these signs that say, if you have a heart condition, if you're pregnant, if you're prone to seizures, if you have heart trouble, if you suffer from motion sickness, do not ride. And, and so as we get to the ride uh, to the front, I, I ask someone who works there and I'm like, listen, I don't do very well on roller coasters and, and I have ridden some, can you tell me what it's like? So I say, you know, is it like Space Mountain? Cause I've been on that. Is it like Splash Mountain? Cause it's been on that. Uh, is it like Test Track? Cause I've been on that. Is it like Star Tours? I've been on that. And the girl says, uh, sir, we're not, we're not allowed to compare it to other rides that are not in our our world. And, and, and I said, okay, but I need to know if this thing is uh, too intense, because if it is, there's going to be vomit to clean up when this ride is over. And, and she says, all I can say is uh, the ride is four minutes long. And I say, okay, which th that is not helpful at all. Um, and so I get onto the ride. And if you've ever been on the ride, you know that they kind of seat you four across and then I sit down and as I'm sitting down, they put this harness over me. And once I sit down and they the, the lady starts to lower the harness, I'm like, oh, heck no, I am not doing this. But as I'm, I was not fast enough because as I was saying, heck no, I'm not doing this. They put the harness down and they just kind of turned this thing and they sent me off and the ride gets started. And it was four minutes of complete misery. And, and now, all, all I kept thinking was if someone would have just told me 
what I was about to experience, I would have done anything to avoid it. And, and all I did, I mean, listen, so it's like, well, what did you do on the ride? Here's what I did. I closed my eyes. This was, because um, my, you know, my kids have, are, uh, have seen the movies and, and, and read some of the books. And uh, they're like, so what is, that, what is that ride like? And I'm like, well, here's what it was like for me. Um, close your eyes and count down. Three minutes and 59, three minutes and 58, three minutes and 50. That was the ride uh, for me. And, and now, the reason that I tell you this is because we want to be prepared for the future. And God wants us to be prepared as well. And that's why there are signs. And we've just got to heed the signs and not ignore them or just blow right past them like I did and then suffer the consequences, which by the way, you ha I had to teach twice that day and I had to teach hundreds of pastors with this feeling of throwing up the, the entire day. And so there, there's a reason that God gives us signs about the future and it's not for the sake of trivia and it's not for the sake of all these post-apocalyptic movies that come out. God wants us to know that there is a time when all the things that are wrong in this world are going to be made right. All the injustices in the world that we've been praying for, all the injustices that we see each and every day, even in this season now, that we've been asking God to make right, there is a moment when he's going to deal with it. And so we're gonna close our study in the book of Joel today by looking at the prophetic words that he has about the second coming of Jesus. Now, the thing that you've gotta understand, uh, that understanding that Jesus is coming back really is the ultimate perspective changer. And that has been the overarching theme of this entire series that we've called Viewfinder, that changing your perspective is the secret weapon to making sense of life. And that is the point of Joel's closing message as he closes out the book. So we're gonna start in Joel chapter three in verse one, and here's what we read. It says, for behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, Joel opens up this final prophecy and it centers around this very specific place that's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now there's a couple of things that are important for us to know, and that is that we don't exactly know where that is. Some say it is in uh, the Valley of Kidron, which is, if you're looking at a map of Israel, in fact, you can check this out on the screen, you'll see it right now, that you'll see the Temple Mount, and the picture that you're seeing was actually taken from the Mount of Olives. So you'll see that there's the Mount of Olives, then there's the Valley, that's the Valley of Kidron, and then there's the, the, the Temple Mount, or what's called Mount Moriah. And uh, if you come to, with us to Israel next year, we're actually going to walk from the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley and up to uh, the Temple Mount. Now, so some say it's the Valley of Kidron. Others say that this is a valley that doesn't yet exist. And here's why. In the book of Zechariah, and I want to read you this passage, it says this, In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move to the north and half of it move toward the south. Now, many Bible scholars believe 
uh, and, and as do I, that this speaks of the return of Jesus, that when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, that, we're, that we read that the Mount of Olives is going to split in two, creating this new valley, and that it's going to be called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And the reason it's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat is because the, the, the name Jehoshaphat means God has judged. And that is the main activity that's happening here. It's what Jesus refers to towards the end of his ministry in Matthew chapter 25 when he's giving the disciples and they're looking at the temple and they're like, man, look at all these temples. And he says, not one stone will be left upon another. And they're like, well, how's that going to happen? And he gives them in Matthew 24 and 25, he gives them this entire discourse on what the world is going to be like at the time of his return. Well, and the latter section of Matthew 25, there's what is called the sheep and goats judgment where Jesus separates uh, sheep and goats. And that is the sheep, that is his people are going to go into his millennial reign into his kingdom and the goats will not. And this will, and the criteria for this will be the treatment of Israel during the seven years of tribulation. Now, I know I'm giving you a lot. And if you're like, well, what is that all about? We did this whole series last year called Spoiler Alert, and, uh, which covered Matthew 24 and 25. And so you can actually go back. You're in quarantine. You got nothing else to do. So go back and listen to those messages. And so, but in Matthew 25, here's what Jesus says. It says, then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did, earlier he says, did do it or did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And they will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Now, one of the things that people do is that they'll quote Matthew 25 and they'll say that it's all about feeding, you know, Jesus is talking about feeding the homeless and clothing the naked. Those are all good things. And there's a whole bunch of verses in the Bible about doing that. But Matthew 25 is all about Bible prophecy, uh, not about relief efforts. Not saying that relief efforts are bad. Don't email me. Uh, th there's a whole bunch of verses about that. But Matthew 25 is a specific prophecy about what's going to happen when Jesus returns. And the judgment, the separation of those who are sheep and those who are goats are going to be what happens during this tribulation period. And so, and the treatment of Israel during this time. Well, he goes on and he explains a little bit more. And in verse nine, he continues and he says this, he says, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all the, uh, the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around, because your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be awakened. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I want you to notice that, once again, the valley of Jehoshaphat is mentioned again, and the objective is the same thing. The objective is the judging or the separation. And Joel, Joel says something that's really important in verse 13, because he says that, he says, the harvest is full, the wine press is full and the vats overflow. Now, this is all imagery to show that this is the moment, right? That, that uh, when you put, that describes judgment, you put the sickle into the field, it means you're going to separate 
the wheat from the chaff. The wheat is what you were looking for, and the chaff was this inedible type of casing. And so when you would separate the wheat from the chaff, you would just uh, throw the wheat in the air, and it would, uh, the, the wind would separate uh, the two. The wine press being full was that you have trodden out. That just means you have crushed the grapes to produce the wine. Now, this is super important because uh, the Apostle John, when he writes the book of Revelation, he actually pulls from this section of Joel uh, to, to remind us of what actually is happening. Here's what uh, Revelation 14 says. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the, crowd, uh, on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And so he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. A couple verses later, he says this, and another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of vine on the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. In Revelation, what we see here is a picture of the final judgment of God from this final battle in the Valley of Megiddo, which is also called the Valley of Armageddon and the final judgment at Jesus' return. Now, one of the things that I told you early in this series when we started the book of Joel is that the writer of Revelation expects the reader to have a firm grasp of the book of Joel, which is why he references it so much. And then in verse 14, uh, I want to share this with you, and then I want to talk real practically. It says this in verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will also roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake. The, earth will be, uh, the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength for the children of Israel. So that you shall know that I am the Lord dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy and no aliens shall pass, ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills shall flow with milk and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and the water of, uh, in the valley of the Acacias. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom, Edom a desolate wilderness because of the violence against the people of Judah for they have shed blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will acquit them of the guilty of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted. For the Lord dwells in Zion. If you pause there and give me your attention. In verse 15 that we read, the sun will grow dark, the stars will diminish their brightness. That is a repeat of what Joel chapter 2 verse 1 says, the very same thing, which is the, the, Lord, the, the day of the Lord is coming, and it's accompanied by the sun and the moon being darkened, sun not giving their light. And this is a moment in history that's called the day of the Lord, which is a big theme in all of the minor prophets. But I want you to understand the day of the Lord, not as a period of time, just like how the other night we were explaining to my wife and I were explaining to our kids about breakdancing. And we were talking about, you know, in our day, you did breakdancing on cardboard. I don't know if people do it now, but on, in our day. And once again, in our day did not mean a particular day in 1986. It was a, a that, that era. 
And so the day of the Lord is a particular time. It's a particular period of time that happens at the end of the tribulation and begins at Jesus's return and culminates at the establishment of his kingdom. Jesus, pulling from these words, said it this way. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And once Jesus establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem, we see the blessing that Joel records throughout the last verses of this book. So what does that mean for us? Here's what that means. I mean, what is the point of, of even looking at this? Okay, Jesus come back. That sounds like a great thing. What does that mean? It's three things in particular as we close. The first is this, is that Jesus's return challenges me to live with a proper center. What do I mean by that? The apostle Peter, as he thought about everything that Jesus had taught him about his return, here's what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct? In godliness. You see, Peter borrows that phrase, the day of the Lord. I mean, what's that day? What's God's day like? I want you to think about it this way. I mean, what's your day like? I mean, what's, I mean, your day, like, what's your birthday like? I mean, what happens on your birthday? Like, people buy you stuff. They treat you extra nice. I mean, you get to pick the restaurant. None of the dessert carbs count. At least that's what I tell myself. And now, and it, it, you know, so but essentially, when you think about your birthday, the whole day is right because that's how you think life should be lived. That's why I tell people the worst day of the year is the day after your birthday because you, you've been living this like, um, you know, on your birthday, it's like everything happens the way you want it to. And then the next day, it's like, hey, Bubba, no, 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 you picked yesterday. Now we're doing it anyway. And that's why it makes it, you know, the day, the, the, the day after is miserable. And so, but people are doing what you, think, what you think is best. Now, the day of the Lord is when Jesus returns and makes everything right. That those who love him are embraced by him and enter into his kingdom. And by the way, those who hate him aren't forced to. In fact, they're, hey, you don't have to be here. And, and, and here's the challenge. In, in Matthew 24, here's what Jesus says. He says, who then is the wise and faithful servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away for a long time. And he begins to beat the fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day that he does not expect him. And at an hour he's not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, I want you to understand what's happening is that when we start thinking that every day is our day, things go haywire. And here's why. Because human beings left to their own devices are self-centered. That's true for all of us. Because, listen, 
we think, start thinking every day is our day and we start losing focus of the day that really puts all of reality into focus and we start living like life is a movie and we're the star of the movie. Everybody else is a uh, co-star or a character actor in the film and at the end of the day, life really just revolves around us. And, and, and then you come to know Jesus and here's what happens is that sometimes we'll say, oh man, I wanna make Jesus part of my story. I mean, it's still my story. The movie's still about me. It doesn't work that way. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you, I'm guessing most of you saw the movie The Karate Kid, and if you're a good parent, you have shared that with your children. Um, but it's a great movie starring uh, Ralph Macchio as Daniel's son and Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. But what would happen if you misunderstood the film? What would happen if, if you, start, you didn't, you made the mistake, you didn't realize who the star of the film was and what the movie was about. I mean, it would just change how you viewed the movie and you would completely miss the point. Check this out. Yeah, it sure is a big poster of the Karate Kid above your bed. Hey, Karate Kid's a great movie. It's the story of a hopeful young karate enthusiast whose dreams and moxie take him all the way to the All-Valley Karate Championship. Of course, sadly, he loses in the final round of that nerd kid. But he learns an important lesson about gracefully accepting defeat. Wait, when you watch The Karate Kid, you actually root for that mean blonde boy? No, I root for the scrawny loser from New Jersey who barely even knows karate. When I watch The Karate Kid, I root for The Karate Kid, Johnny Lawrence from the Cobra Kai Dojo. Let me get this straight. You're really telling me that when you watch The Karate Kid, you don't root for Daniel-san? Nope. Who do you root for in Die Hard? Hans Gruber, charming international bandit. At the end, he died hard. He's the title character. Okay, the breakfast club. Mm. The teacher running detention. He's the only guy in the whole movie wearing a suit. I got one. Terminator. What's the name of the movie, Robin? Who among us didn't shed a tear when his little red eye went out at the end and he didn't get to kill those people? I'm sorry, that movie. I am never watching a movie with you ever again. <laughs> they didn't even try to help him. You see, that's what happens when the wrong person is at the center of my life. The fact that the day of the Lord is coming. The day that Jesus is going to make everything that's wrong right reminds me that every day is Jesus' day and that my goal is to put him at the center of my life because living any other way distorts reality. The second thing it teaches me is that Jesus' return challenges me to live a godly life. In the book of Titus, uh, who was a young pastor in the island of Crete and the apostle Paul writes him a letter to encourage him, but he says this. He says, and we are instructed to turn away from godless living and sinful pleasures, and we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Do you know that every time that you pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, you are hastening God's kingdom. When we say, uh, you know, that our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're hastening God's kingdom. We're praying for God's kingdom to come. And that isn't some abstract idea. The, the coming kingdom of Jesus, where he's ruling and reigning, is a real thing that the Bible outlines quite literally. 
And I believe that it should really influence how we live. The Apostle John, who wrote Revelation, also wrote a couple of other letters besides the Gospel of John. But in 1 John, he said this, Dear friends, we, all, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what it will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. You see, this expectation of Jesus coming back should drive us to live a pure life. And I mean, what does that mean, a pure life? And does that mean like holier than thou or lame or boring? No, think about what are the things that you want that are pure? I mean, think about like if someone says, hey, I have this pure water or I have this impure water, which, you know, um, is a purebred dog more valuable than, than a, one that isn't, right? You want someone that has a pure heart and a pure conscience. So what's a pure life? A pure life is something that isn't contaminated by the things that would pollute us or harm us. And that's what Jesus' return should spur in us a desire to not get sidetracked by things that are simply going to hurt us. And then lastly, and I think in recent days, this is such an important one, is that Jesus' return challenges me to remember that justice is coming. You see, the question that non-Christians have about injustice and why God isn't doing anything about it, all of that is going to be made right when Jesus returns. The idea of justice is hardwired into every human heart. That's why we have a visceral reaction when we see injustice. And you just have to look, look at social media or the news this week and you, and you see it happening, that we see injustice and, and, and we just, it, it, it sickens us and, and we long for a world where justice reigns. And that is part of the hope of the second coming of Jesus, that there will ultimately be justice and everything that's wrong will be made right. I was reading this week about another uh, Christian musician who has renounced his faith. And I, I read the article and, and I just, my heart broke as he was sharing his honest struggles. And, and honestly, he was sharing struggles that whether you're a person of faith or not, these are things that you struggle with. I mean, the problem of pain or evil or injustice in the world and why God hasn't stopped it. And it caused him to walk away from his faith. And my answer to those issues, and, and I believe what Christianity's answer, is that, listen, Christianity is the only worldview that even comes close to answering these questions at all. Every other worldview teaches that pain and suffering are either the result of pure randomness or that you have deserved it for some undisclosed reason. Christianity is the only worldview that teaches that God became a man and endured the suffering so that one day he would come again and make everything right. Not just in the moment, in that one injustice, but every injustice for all eternity. And my friends, that's what makes Christianity good news because there is a day coming when God is going to wipe away every tear and that death will be something that we talk about because it's in the rearview mirror. It has no bearing in the world in which we live. The Apostle Paul would say it this way. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, 
we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. My friends, this is why you can live for weeks without food, for days without water, for minutes without air, but you cannot live for one second without hope. And that's one of the titles that the New Testament gives to Jesus is that he is the blessed hope. Because not only can we not live without hope, we can't live and make sense of this world without him. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. And God, we pray as Christians have prayed now for 2,000 years, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask, Lord, help us to be those agents of change in this world. Help us to live the kind of life that honors you as we wait for the day, the day of your return. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.